0: Praise God, friends. It is good to be worshiping with you today. Welcome to all those who are worshiping online and to all those who made it through the blizzard to be here in person. Congratulations. Way to go. We're glad you're here. You're in the right place. We're working through this series, Live the DNA. This series is a repeat of a series that has already been preached at this church in February of 1922. So a hundred years ago, and we're bringing it back, uh, that series was based on the very end of Matthew chapter 7, uh, which was, is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters of Jesus teaching his disciples how to live like Jesus. And at the end of that sermon, he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man whos built his house on the sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus observes that the difference between the wise and the foolish isn't whether you hear the message of Jesus, but whether you put it into practice. That's the difference. So we're talking about live the DNA. You you can study Jesus' teaching, and you'll know the DNA of Jesus. Uh, you You can trust in Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, you will have the DNA of Jesus. But it's only through obedience that you can live the DNA of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about in this series. How do we begin to strategically actually do what Jesus tells us to do? Just like we did a 100 years ago in 1922, and also in 1924 and 1927, and again in 1929 and 1931, this series is going to end with a chance to make a commitment, a chance for people to say, "I'm in. I want to live the DNA." Uh, This series was first preached by Will Sweeney. Uh, I found a version uh, in his papers, I found a version of this sermon that he preached in 1933. He was no longer our minister, but he did the same thing uh, at a different church. And, And in that sermon, he uses this phrase. He says, we're talking about moving from being members of a church to being part of the mission of the church. He goes on, he says stuff like, he says, you know, we, we can get settled just being participants in an organization. We just show up and we're part of it. But this is about not just being a participant, but by being actually moving its mission forward, accomplishing the work, and that's what this series is all about. We're calling it Live the DNA. Uh, We've got four elements of the DNA, same four that Will Sweeney had, and we've gone through two of them already, uh, what we call the Great Commandments. The first is love God, and the second is love everyone. I'm so glad I get to preach this series in the middle of Love Month here at FCC, because man, we are busy loving everyone. Loving everyone for us right now is not just an idea or a philosophy, it is active. Thank you so much for all of you who have signed up to be part of Love Month projects. What a great way to just say we're going to go out and love everyone. And this week we turn the corner from the great commandments, love God, love everyone, to the first of the two great commissions. Uh, this, this, this mission that Jesus sends his followers out on. Uh, we're going to look today at the first one of those from Matthew chapter 28. If you've got your Bibles with you, grab a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you've got a phone, if you don't have a Bible with you, but you've got a phone with you, just pull up your web browser, you know, Safari or Chrome or whatever it is, and type Matt, Matt. Then space 28. and I bet the first link you'll get will be like Bible Gateway or something like that. It'll take you right there. Matthew chapter 28, get there, figure out how to get there. Maybe you've got a Bible app on your phone, that's great. Uh, We've got to set the stage here. Jesus has been crucified, buried, dead, risen from the dead, Revealed to his disciples, demonstrated to be alive, teaching them for 40 days. And at the very end of his time with them, this is their encounter. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some had questions. Some doubted. And then Jesus came to them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So wherever you go, make disciples of all the nations, in baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. A couple things I want to notice about this Great Commission before we talk about the commission itself. First, I want you to notice who it's for. Who is it that gets this command from Jesus? And I love the way the Bible sets this up. It says it's the disciples, so it's for the disciples. And some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. That's who the Great Commission is for. It's for people who feel like worshipping. And for people who are stuck doubting, it's for the strong and the weak. It's for you and me. There's a lie out there where where people feel like, you know, you wake up and you're like, today I I feel like I have doubts today, God. I've got questions today, God. I feel like a failure today, God. I I feel like I let you down today, God. And, And then people say, because of that, I probably can't serve you. I probably can't be on mission with you, God, until I get these doubts straightened out, or I get my sins straightened out, or I get myself straightened out, and people take themselves out of the game. And Jesus never says anything like that. That's just a lie. Jesus looks at his disciples, some worship, some doubt, just like in this room. Some of us are here today to worship, and some of us are here today with questions. And to everybody who seeks to be his disciple, he says, I've got a mission for you. So that's, first of all, who it's for. It's for everybody who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. The second thing you got to get before you get to the commission itself is the context Jesus puts it in. He starts off by saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have all the power in the universe. He ends it by saying, I am with you always. I will never leave you i'll be right there right next to you right with you the whole time that's what he how he ends it i love that doesn't this sort of sound like a parent trying to convince a four-year-old to jump off a diving board isn't that what that sounds like you know like you can picture it the 4 year olds up on the diving board and the parents down in the pool and the parents like it's okay i'm a strong swimmer it's good or maybe even i can stand up it's fine i'm strong enough to catch you i have the power that is needed And then the parent says, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I'll be right here. You're fine. You're safe. I mean, this is how you talk when you're about to ask people to do something scary. And Jesus is. He's going to ask you to be a disciple and to make disciples. And that's scary. And so he gives you a setup. He says, I have all the power, and I will never leave you. And then he gives them the commission. He says, okay, so wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I want to do a little thing here real quick. I promise it won't take long. I want to talk a little bit about Greek. Um, most of us, if you've learned this verse before, I learned this verse, go, I, wait, do we have that on, I think we have that verse, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, good. Thanks. I learned this verse go and make disciples. That's the way I learned this. And, and that's a good, I get well, that's a decent translation. The problem is, in the text itself, there's only one word in here that's a command, and that is the word make disciples. The, the go word is sort of like as you go or wherever you go or while you're going places or something like that. It's a funny little construction. So that's why I picked this translation because I want you to see that the command itself is not go and, if you get a chance, make disciples. No, the command is make disciples wherever you go baptizing them that's getting them started that's how you enter a life of faith and obedience to Christ and then teaching them that's that's keeping them going baptizing and teaching I served in a church for a long time the lobby out front of the church had great big high ceilings and um, and therefore constantly had big tall walls. And on one of the walls, they bought one of those wall stickers. I don't know, there's a fancy word for wall stickers, but you know what I'm talking about. They bought a wall sticker, and it was like, uh, I don't know, I guess it was 35 or 40 feet long and like 10 or 15 feet high, and it just said in giant letters, make disciples. It was just this big old sticker on the wall. And I always always love that big sticker because, man, we forget fast, don't we? That this is the thing he told us to do make disciples now just so we're all on the same page here this word disciple is not a churchy word it's not like a religious word okay it's just it was a very normal word in their culture it's just the normal word for learner or student or apprentice and everybody in the ancient world saw themselves as the disciple of somebody else I mean that's every trade if you, whether you want to be a blacksmith or a chariot driver or a soldier or a farmer you were somebody's disciple and they taught you everything they knew about farming and you would farm just like they would farm And so, I mean why do you farm that way and say well because my master taught me to farm that way and his master taught him to farm that way and I'm a disciple of somebody and they're a disciple of some everybody there thought they Understood that they were a disciple of somebody else, and this is true of rabbis. You know, Jesus was called rabbi; it's just the word that means teacher. And in the ancient world, in the Jewish context, rabbis would also have disciples. And and again, you if you we know a lot about the relationship between a rabbi and their disciples of that period from other people's writings, and you hear about it, it sounds just like the relationship between Jesus and his disciples the disciples of a rabbi would leave their home and quit their jobs they would follow the rabbi wherever the rabbi went they would travel with the rabbi and live with the rabbi and camp with the rabbi if the rabbi stayed at the house they would stay at the house they would listen to the rabbi teach they would learn the teachings of the rabbi they would help the rabbi teach and then eventually the rabbi would say all right you've you now have kind of graduated you go be a rabbi and you'll get your own Disciples, And that's just the way it all went. See, the ancient Jewish culture of that period, they understood something about the world that, that we sometimes forget. Have you ever heard that line, life's a marathon, not a sprint? Have you ever heard that line? You know, and that, that's a good line to remind us, you know, you know, plan for the long haul and whatever. Life's a marathon, not a sprint. The only problem with that line is it's, it's not true. And they knew it. Uh, life is a relay race it's not a sprint or a marathon every one of us are running a race that somebody else passed the baton to us and taught us how to run and ran before us and set the track and and we're influenced by how they ran and and every one of us has people whether you know it or not you've got people that are looking at you to see how the race should be run and to learn for you and uh, life is a multi-generational mission age after age and and so everybody, in the ancient culture, they understood this. Everybody is a disciple to someone. Everybody is a disciple to someone. And everybody is discipling someone. Everybody is. And Jesus just says, you be disciples of me, and you make disciples of me. So, so maybe we should be asking the question, you know. Of what or of whom are you a disciple? Who is it? What is it that is shaping your thoughts, teaching you how to live? We, we work on sermon preparation with a, a team of mostly staff and some students and stuff like that. And um, when we were talking about this sermon, I did about a 45-minute rant that they told me I can't do all of. From the pulpit. Uh, so, I'm gonna try and do a, a five minute version of my 45 minute rant because I have a concern. When it comes to this question, what is discipling us? What is shaping us? I have a concern. And it's gonna sound like I'm some, some sort of weird conspiracy theorist, and I'm not, so I'll try and explain what I'm talking about. But I have a concern that many of us, the thing that is most shaping how we think is the engagement algorithm of some online platform. Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's YouTube, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's TikTok, maybe it's Snapchat, whatever your deal is. They all use basically the same computer program. It's a computer program that analyzes what you have watched in the past to suggest what you will watch in the future so that you watch more. Sounds pretty innocent, right? We've all seen this. These recommendations based on your viewing habits, we've all seen this. Except we actually know a lot about the algorithm. Here's what we know. We know you're more likely to click on something that makes you angry than something that makes you happy. So once the algorithm figures out what you're into, they're going to send you bad news more often than they send you good news. We know the algorithm knows this. You're more likely to click on something that is an exaggerated lie than something that is a complicated truth. You're just more likely to click on that. So they send us exaggerated lies, not complicated truths. We know, I mean, don't go too deep on it. It'll make it for a bad day, but we know a ton. Facebook introduced this like button, right? And we thought, oh, that's so they can fit what our friends like. They'll show us what our friends like and we'll like it too. No, that is not how they use the like button. They use it the opposite. They send you what your friends don't like, and then you won't like it too. And it'll make it angry. The function of the algorithm, and this is, uh, really, this is what they say the function is. The function is to keep you on their website. And they know you'll stay on their website longer if you are unsatisfied, angry, and addicted. And so they want you unsatisfied, angry, and addictive. And you'll stay and get madder and matter and matter. Because if you watch a news story that was good news, you'd be like, oh, well, that's good. And you'd turn the computer off, and you'd go outside and breathe fresh air. And I worry that a lot of us have just given over so much of our lives to these algorithms. And and the people who design these algorithms, they aren't trying to make you a worse person. That's not their goal. Their goal is to make you a person who stays on their website. They have just figured out that the way to get you to stay on their website is to make you a worse person. And it works. And I'm concerned about it. And I can go for 45 minutes on it, but that was five, and so I have to stop, okay? Because that fits inside a bigger question. And if that algorithm stuff isn't relevant to you, you just focus on the bigger question. The bigger question is this. What is shaping you? And what is it shaping you into? Maybe it's who is shaping you. You know, Is it your friends at work or your buddies at school or your family? And are they shaping you to be more like Jesus? Or are they shaping you to be more like something else? Uh, the similar question, this boy, this is a kicker right here. What are you, how are you discipling others? Like every one of us is shaping other people. Uh, like here, ask, Just think of it this way. The people around you who are watching you turn into somebody else, and we all are turning into somebody else, do they look at you and think, oh my goodness, they're a little more like Jesus every day? Or do they think, They're more like their Facebook feed every day, or they're more like their buddies every day, or they're more like that news channel they watch. Every day, they're just a little more like that news channel they watch. What are you turning into? The people around you know what you're turning into. What about the people you influence? The people who are under your influence just through relationship, or maybe you're a parent, or maybe you're a friend. The people you're influencing, what do people say they're turning into because of your influence? Man, I'm so glad they're hanging out with you because every time they hang out with you, they end up a little bit more like Jesus. Is that what people say when people hang out with you? Because if, if the thing that is discipling you isn't Jesus, well, let's change that. And if the thing you're discipling other people to look like isn't Jesus, well, we should change that too. So what you need is a biblical strategy for discipleship to Jesus. And at this point, I've got about 10 sermons I want to preach because I've spent my whole life studying what does the Bible teach about how do we disciple people? And I've got a ton to say, but I can't preach 10 sermons. I'm just going to preach one. I'm going to preach the very, the very starting sermon, the first sermon in a series that is in my brain somewhere. The first step of a biblical strategy for discipling people to be more likely Jesus and for you to become more like Jesus is you need a strategic commitment to Christian community. That's where it starts. You've got to make a plan. Strategic means you've got to have a plan. Commitment. You're in it for the long haul to community. Every time the Bible describes the actual process of discipleship, it happens in relationship with other Christians. There is no biblical description of somebody saying, me and Jesus, I'm going to go off and I'm going to become a disciple all by myself. That is never described in Scripture. And it shows up all over the Bible, sometimes in the oddest places. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to preach on Hebrews later in the year. Hebrews chapter 10 is this magnificent celebration of the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus. It's just this killer text. And it ends like this, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19, therefore brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience having our bodies washed with pure water I mean it's this killer text right God has saved us in the blood of Jesus and holiness and forgiveness it's amazing he goes on let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and then all of a sudden in verse 24 he realizes what everybody in the Bible knows That Jesus isn't trying to make converts to some new religion. He's trying to make disciples who were in a disciplined way. Uh, Here's the thing they said about the disciples of the rabbi the disciples of the rabbi lived with the rabbi so they could learn from the rabbi so that they would then live like the rabbi. They first lived with the rabbi so they could learn from the rabbi, so they could live like the rabbi. That's what Jesus is trying to do. So in the middle of this magnificent text about forgiveness and blood and sacrifice and hope, he then says this, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds." How are we going to do that? Oh yeah. And not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, you're going to be shaped by something. And if you want the something you are shaped by to be Jesus, you need to make a strategic commitment to Christian community, relationship with other Christians. Acts chapter 2. This is the very beginning of the church, okay? Uh, the, the, the disciples after Jesus' ascension have been huddled up and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit and on the day of Pentecost, God prepares an opportunity for them to preach to thousands of people and they preach this amazing sermon about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. They say, what shall we do? And they say, this is how you respond to Jesus. Be immersed for the forgiveness of sins. with Put your trust in Jesus that you might become his disciples. And at the end of that, three 3,000 people are baptized on that day, and I want you to look at what they do next. 3,000 people become followers of Jesus that day. Look what they do next. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 they devoted themselves, that's strategic, that's commitment to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved the first thing they do is they make a strategic commitment to Christian community. They say, we're going to meet all the time, meet in the temple, meet house to house, listen to the apostles' teaching, enjoy fellowship together, take communion together, pray for one another, sing songs together. The strategic commitment to the Christian community is the context in which discipleship happens that's where you start like i say i got 10 other sermons on discipleship but that's the first one make a strategic commitment to a christian community where you can be discipled and where you can disciple others now i know throughout history this community this that what the kind of community takes all kinds of forms right Sometimes it's a mentoring relationship over breakfast where two disciples, iron sharpens iron. Maybe it's an exercise group that you meet with and pray for each other and challenge each other in your faith. Maybe it's a Bible study or a Sunday school class. Maybe, you know, we've had monasteries and monks. That's what they were trying to do. It was just, it was just, the goal was just to have a strategic community that was focused on discipleship together. Uh, maybe it's mission trips. It's all kinds of things, Right? Here at FCC, we do it all kinds of different ways. But what we know is it doesn't happen on accident. You don't stumble into it, you make a commitment. Um, You know, and and no group's perfect, and nothing's, you know, it takes a while. I get it, It's, it's messy. Everything human is messy. But this is where discipleship happens. You know, over here we got Sunday school classes and small groups, midweek groups. If, you, if you're looking for a place to jump in right away, come to our midweek group, Wednesday nights, meets down in the CLC down there. They're actually studying this material right there. They're going to talk about how to actually disciple someone. Some kind of these three easy, really strategic patterns you can build into your relationships that will accomplish discipleship. It's an amazing, simple pattern. It's biblical. Maybe you could go study that Wednesday night. Get in a group. Do that. If you've got questions about groups and you're online, put it in the chat. We'll get in touch with you. Stop by the Connection Kiosk. Come talk to me. Call the office. We did a thing recently. I mean, we're doing all kinds of things. We did a thing recently called Sank at a Starbucks. It was just a multi-generational gathering for women. And why do we do stuff like it? was an amazing killer event. A bunch of you went. It was awesome. Why do we do stuff like that? Is it because we like to throw parties? Well, in fact, we do like to throw parties. That actually is true. But, but that's not why we do it. We do it because we're trying to start relationships, because we believe that discipleship happens when we make a strategic commitment to Christian community. Uh, This whole series, like I said, it's built on the thing Will Sweeney did in 1922. He ended his series with a challenge to commitment, and we're going to do the same thing in two weeks. I'm just going to give you a preview, okay? In two weeks, we're just going to say, if you want to move the mission of this church forward, come make a strategic commitment to Christian community. I'll probably use the phrase, get in a group, but that's what I mean. Make a strategic commitment to a Christian community. You start a group, you get in a group, you join a group, you find three people and say, together we're going to disciple each other in Jesus' name because that's what the Bible teaches us to do. And so in two weeks, I'm going to challenge you that you be ready to make that commitment, if that's what God's calling you to. But today I want to make a slightly different application of this principle. It's not something I talk about a whole bunch, but every once in a while it's probably good to kind of go over it and talk about it just a little bit. And I want to talk just a little bit about church membership, which is an expression of this biblical principle, uh, an expression of the practice of making a strategic commitment to a Christian community. Now, the idea of joining a local church is not commanded by Scripture. Let's just be super clear on that. There is no command in Scripture that says you need to join a local church, it doesn't affect your salvation. It doesn't give you any special privileges or benefits. There's no, you're not authorized to more love and compassion from this community. We'll give love and compassion to anybody who's here, no matter what status they have. nothing like that. Joining a church is, is a way of saying, I'm here. I want to be discipled in this place, and I want to help disciple others as part of this place. So that I'm, I'm going to be around. You can count on me to move to help you move the mission forward. We'll, we'll, we'll celebrate victories together, and we'll mourn our losses together. And some of you maybe need to do that, or maybe you want to do I think we have a couple people actually here that are here today ready to do that, to just say, yeah, this is our place. We're in for this. Uh, a couple things just so you know. Joining a church doesn't mean you agree with them on everything, okay? Uh, that's okay. We probably don't. That's good. We agree on Jesus. That matters. But there might be other stuff we don't agree on. It does not mean you've found the perfect church. I always worry when somebody tells me they found the perfect church. First of all, it means I know they're going to a different church than mine because mine's not perfect. Uh, but I also worry about it because I don't think that church is perfect either. And if it is perfect, then they'll just go there and mess it up and it won't be perfect for long. It's, well, those are the only options. So I worry when somebody says they found a perfect church. And uh, don't, if, if, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join us, that's for sure. I could recommend a couple to you, but uh, don't join us. But, um, but it is a way of saying, I'm ready to be a disciple. I want this to be the place that kind of helps me get more like Jesus. And I want to help other people get more like Jesus as a part of this place. Just, just so you know, membership at First Christian Church is open to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and have been baptized by immersion as an expression of that faith for the forgiveness of their sins. If you ever have any questions about that, come talk to me. You can come to our class, First Things First. We talk about that in more details. Along with a bunch of other stuff. It, you know, maybe today's your day. I guess that could be it, right? Maybe today's the day. You say, you know, I've never been baptized. I trust Jesus. I just want to be baptized today. Man, I'd love to do that. I'm ready. The water's warm. We got trunks back there you can borrow. Let's just do it today. I don't care if you're ready. We got extra towels. You'll be fine. Just water. Let's do it. And maybe you just, you know, I, I do trust Jesus. I just want to trust him in this way, and the way the Bible teaches, just like they did on Acts chapter 2. He said, they said, what do we do? He said, get baptized. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day to join the church. Maybe you've, you've been immersed, and, you, and you're like, this is our place. This is our people. We want to be discipled here. We know it's not a perfect church, and we still got some questions, you know, but, but we're going to be part of this and be discipled here. And like I said, I don't, I don't know, every Sunday kind of do, go through this, but I want to go through it every once in a while because I want you to know. The band's already out here. Just a minute. We're going to sing. And and if that's you today, if today you want to be baptized or today you want to place membership in this church, I'll be right down up front while the band's, while we're singing, you just come on up. We're going to sing this killer song. It's just about the blessing of God and how it rolls from generation to generation and how it, it is exercised when God's people partner to do the work of discipleship. And, and I know a lot of this is scary, right? Maybe, maybe being up in front of people and joining a church feels scary. Or maybe the decision to get baptized feels scary. A lot of this feels scary. Maybe helping, maybe making, being a discipler, you know, speaking truth into somebody else's life, that might, might feel scary. A lot of this feels scary. And that's why Jesus said, hey, I'm right here with you, you know. I got all the power. I'll never leave you. You can do the scary thing because I'm here. So if that's what you need to do today, I'm going to pray for us, and maybe you'll just come forward while we sing. God, we want to be disciples. I feel sometimes, God, like I need a giant sticker up on the wall of every room I ever entered to remind me that this is the commission you gave us to be disciples and to make disciples. That's what we want, God. And so I just just ask that um, you would lead us in that direction. Maybe some people here, God. Maybe we've got some people who need to repent and just recognize, right this moment, that if they're honest, what is shaping their life is not Jesus. It's something else. That's what they're being shaped by. They're being shaped by friends, or shaped by coworkers, or shaped by YouTube or the algorithm or TikTok. Or that's where they're getting their worldview from, and and it's not Jesus. And maybe some people just need to repent and say, I want to be shaped by Jesus, which means I need to be in a community where we're studying God's word and calling one another to faithfulness. Man, if we got some people who need to take that step, God, would you just give them the courage to do that? And some people need to be baptized today, God. I know that's true. we got some people here who need to be baptized and some who need to join the church. It's just time for them to say, this is our place. And if that's going on today, God, would you just move in some hearts and bring some conviction? For all of us, we want to be your disciples and we want to make disciples for generation to generation to generation to generation until Christ returns. May our faithfulness be known. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.